Amen. Well, you guys can go ahead and take a seat. Uh, good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? We're doing well. Uh, praise the Lord. It's good to see you guys. Uh, I have a question for us this morning as we get started. What motivates you? What motivates you? What stirs you up to action? What compels you to continue to take steps forward? Well, for me, something that motivates me is a goal. I, I love having goals. I love having something in front of me that I'm trying to pursue and, and get to and to reach. Uh, something else that motivates me is success and seeing a, a finished product and some fruit from that. I, I love being stirred up by something, a vision that's compelling, that's driving, that I see movement and action towards, that I can truly be driven by and continue to go forward with. For you, it might be a desire to help other people. Maybe, maybe you're really motivated by just wanting to continue to walk alongside someone and to serve them. Or maybe it's the feeling of being invited into something by someone who you deeply care about and love. And when they ask you for help or they invite you into something, that stirs you up to continue to go on forward and press forward. Maybe it's the feeling of being approved of. Maybe you just really are motivated by the thought that maybe someone will think higher of you or more of you if you continue further on this uh, mission with them. Well, out of all the motivations that you can think of in the world, out of all the things that you can kind of muster up or ponder on that motivate different people or different types of people, I think there's one motivation that ultimately drives all of us the most, and that's love. So as I think of love as something that motivates us, I think of a spouse who would completely drop everything for the person that they deeply love if they're in need of help. I, I think of parents who will continually change dirty diapers for their children because they love them. I think of friends who will put down absolutely everything to go and run after and help somebody with a flat tire who they deeply love in the middle of a frigid, cold winter day. Love continues to move us and motivate us forward and compel us to continue to care for those around us. It stirs us up towards action. And I think as we look at our relationship with God himself, we're reminded time and time again that the love he gives to us is something that we receive. And as we think of receiving that great love, that same love drives us forward to transformation. It continues to motivate us and stir us up all the more to come and see and understand what God has done for us and motivates us towards the people around us to share of that great love. Love continues to stir us up towards the mission of God. So our big idea for the morning is that God's love sends us out. God's love sends us out. So this morning, we're going to close up our core value series. We've spent the last several weeks talking about what is it crucial to us as City Light South? What are the things that we're going to put at the top of a hill and say, we're dying on these hills? This is something that we're pursuing. Ricky kind of recapped them as we prayed, right? Down is the gospel that Jesus came for us. Up, spiritual formation, that we're being made into the image of Christ. We're responding to the love and, and worship to God himself in right? We talked about that last week, the family. We just prayed for the family, the body here, that we would live that out. And today we're finishing out with our core value of out or mission. 
So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's going to remind us of the love that was given to us and the love that we share with the rest of the world. That God's love compares us to share Christ with those around us. So if you would, read with me again 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. It says this, For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who raised, for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we know, now know, we yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. So 2 Corinthians, uh, we kind of jump into it in a random spot, but I want to give us a quick recap as we're diving in because the context matters. And our first point is that love compels. First point is that love compels. And we see that throughout the letter of 2 Corinthians up until chapter 5, Paul has been discussing this love that was given to them, right, to the Corinthians. He's pointing them to the great love that God has for them as he's their great comfort. He's reminding them of his love for them, this pursuit of them. And we know uh, if you've read 1 Corinthians and you kind of start to walk through the beginning of 2 Corinthians, there's this weird tension between Paul and the church in Corinth. There's this weird tension that's kind of going on between the two of them. And so over and over again, up until chapter 5, Paul is talking about this new covenant ministry that he has. This new covenant ministry to continue to go out and pursue people for Christ's sake and what God has done for them. And that takes us to chapter 5, verse 14, where we start to get encouraged with the amazing truth that the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. We know that it compels us because he goes on to make his argument because we know that he died for us. We know that he completely gave his life for us and that those who have given their life to Jesus himself, who worship them as, his, as their Savior and Lord, right? Jesus is King. It goes on to actually change them, to transform them, to make them this new creation. Verse 15, it tells us those who worship him, right, they no longer live for themselves, but they live for him. Their whole life is for Jesus himself, the Christ who came and was crucified for them. And like I said, we've been walking through these core values. We've been talking and hammering these constantly that this is who we are. Ultimately, when we think of our core values and who we are as a church, the most important and crucial one is down, that Jesus Christ came for us. And as we read verses 14 and 15, it's a reminder of that good news. It's a reminder that time and time again, as we think about why we do what we do, why we continue to pursue people, why we care for each other, is all because of what Jesus has done for us. We serve a missional God. And we know that because before we go on to pursue other people, he's pursued us. He's been missional towards us. He's come for us. He saved us. And we have a great God who created the world, who made humans in his own image. And that while humanity was completely rebellious, 
walked away from him, denied him, opposed him, were enemies of God, he still loved the world so much that he came for them. He still loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. He still loved us to the point of death. He loved us to the point to where he rose from the dead and forgave us of our sin if we trust in him. That's the amazing, compelling news that we get to read of and see that it's nothing that we could have ever done because our sin, right, continues to separate us from God. But we receive the righteousness of Christ, as verse 21 kind of says towards the end. We receive that righteousness when we trust in Jesus. The penalty has been paid. We no longer have this huge debt to God, but he himself has done it all for us. And we get to have everlasting life with him. The sacrifice of Christ's death, the victory in raising from the dead is the great news that we get to witness and be joyful that the tomb is empty and we get to spend everlasting life with Jesus himself. That's the good news. That's the love of Christ that compels us. Because when we come to understand like truly what that is and what it means in his pursuit of us relentlessly, it's just so beautiful that it stirs us up. It changes how we actually understand what he's done. It changes how we start to move towards other people, and we see that there's a response to that love. We talked about it with our second core value, the response to the love, spiritual formation or worship to God. It's that we're being changed, transformed. We are a new creation, as it says in verse 17, right? We know that he's died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. We used to live for ourselves, but now we live for Christ himself. It's a completely changed life. We respond to the grace that's given to us, and this response, it's not a lackluster thank you. It's not a brush off the shoulder. It's not a walk away type of love, but it's something that we understand and we're compelled to change. We're compelled to change because the Spirit of of God has indwelt us. He's given us this new heart. He's changed us, and that's good news. That's our second core value, that we respond to the grace that's given to us. And we see time and time again, whether it's actually in your life and you see God change you, or you see it happen in the scriptures where our love vertically towards God, our love towards him and his love towards us changes how we love the people around us. It changes how we interact with others. It changes how we continue to care for people, how we love them, how we pursue them. And that's our third core value, right? We, we talked about it last week, how the love of God invites us into a beautiful family with one another. And we've had the pleasure of being able to see some real fruit from that. Because we don't just sit idly by, but God invites us into something beautiful. Invites us into a people. Invites us to be on mission together. And together, we're stirred up with one another. We, we love each other. We serve each other. We mourn together. We celebrate together. This is all what God's love continues to do for us. It compels us to move towards relationships with each other, but not only with relationships with each other within the life of the church, but also people outside of the church, people who don't know Jesus, people who are lost apart from Christ, people who don't know what the love that compels us really is who maybe have a false understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. And that's our fourth core value that we discussed today, that the love that compels us 
It moves us out. It moves us to think differently about people. Our God is a missional God, and that missional God's love compels us to move towards others and to see people differently. I, I love verse 16 because he goes on and he says, From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. We do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. When I read that, it makes me stop and think. Okay, so how did I used to look at people? Before I met Jesus and before my life was completely changed, what did I used to think of other people? Right? What's the worldly perspective that Paul is talking about? I think in most of the relationships that I had before Christ, I viewed people as a product. I viewed people as, as uh, seeing them, okay, what can they do for me? What can I get them to do for me? How can they impact uh, whether it's my relationship with them or how can they get me up the proverbial ladder? How can they move me forward? What can they actually produce for me? It's all individualistic. It's all selfish. And I think that's ultimately how the, how the world looks at people, right? Or it's judging people, whether it's by the value of what they have or what they own or their decisions, their actions, their qualities. And that's the worldly perspective that people are just something to kind of use or manipulate or to have or to judge. But as believers, our minds are completely changed. We have a new heart towards others. We're reminded that we have a God who's transformed us, and because of the love that Christ has given to us, we understand that there's a God who truly loves them too. We come to see that there's a God who created them in his image, not as someone who we could make fun of or judge or someone we could manipulate or someone we could take advantage of or someone we could take things from or see as just someone who gives us stuff, but an actual human being who's cared for by the living God, who's cared for to the point to where that God sent his son to die for them too, not just for you. And this mindset, this changed worldly perspective that we no longer have, that we view people in the way that God views people, reminds us that, man, they have no idea who that God is. Or they have a false idea of who he is. And, and as we start being stirred up by that love and affection that God came for us, how much more does that compel us to want to tell them that they're made in his image? That there's someone who cares for them more than they could ever understand. That there's someone in their life who can count the number of hairs on their head. That there's someone who literally paid the price for their sin and died for them. How much more are we stirred up to actually tell them that there is a God who is ever-present who just wants to continually bring them into a relationship with Him? You see, we're no longer under the flesh. We're no longer led by the world. We're no longer led by our own selfish desires or ambitions or, or wants, but we're compelled by what Jesus has done. See, the love of Christ compels us to see the, the world differently, to see people differently, to pursue people differently, to actually walk towards them, to love them, and to see them as God sees them. I struggle with this. Do you? It is quite difficult for me to be reminded in different moments 
man, there, there's a God who relentlessly cares for this person when they're really rude or when I just disagree with them or when they've done something to me in the past. It is really difficult for me to remove those scars and to actually start reminding myself that they're someone who's made in the image of God. But they are. And God has a deep desire for them to know him and for them to be in a relationship with him too. And so as we look at this scripture, as we look at verses 14, 15, 16, 17, we're reminded that the love of God not only pursues us, but it pursues them too. The love of God doesn't just stay right here in this building, in this sanctuary, but he uses us to view people differently, to not just see them as something that we can take and say, okay, cool, like they gave me a sweet gift or I can make sure that they help me move up the ladder or they're just someone I don't want to do anything with because we disagree too much or there's someone that has harmed me or hurt me in a really hard way, but there's someone who's made in the image of God. And when, when I'm reminded of that good news, it, it's a lot easier to be stirred up with love for them because the love that compels me is Christ's love. The love that changes my heart is the love of God. The love that continues to move me forward to actually pursue them and care for them is what God has done in me. And I'm reminded of that news over and over again. And so we see that God's love compels us to love him and to love the world around us. It's that love that continues to move us forward to be ministers of reconciliation. So let's keep reading verses 18 to 21. Everything is from God. Who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, as he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Second point is that we are ministers of reconciliation. Ministers of reconciliation. I love how he starts verse 18. Everything is from God. Everything is from God. That's great news, and he continues to give us all the more than we deserve. And the best part is we did not deserve reconciliation with him at all. And yet he gave us reconciliation. Reconciliation is just bringing back something together, right? Reestablishing a relationship that should have been there, that was broken. Bringing back uh, this, uh, this, this friendship or this personal uh, intimacy with one another that maybe was broken in a past sense. So as we look at God's reconciliation of us, and we think of reconciliation in our world in general with our friends, family, uh, co-workers, neighbors, people who have been around us, who we've interacted with, we don't naturally love or enjoy reconciliation. Can we be honest with that? We, we don't naturally enjoy going to somebody who's hurt us, who's frustrated us, who's made us angry at all. 
we don't naturally want to pursue that person and figure out the tension that's going on in between there. We actually kind of hate it. It's hard. It's not easy. We talked about it when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, right? When Jesus is talking about, hey, go and pursue your brother who sinned against you before you make an offering to the altar. Reconciliation is just difficult because you have to talk about hard stuff. And honestly, on the inside, sometimes we're kind of like, I don't think they're actually going to change their mind. Or we're too hard hearts to see we're the ones who need to change our mind. And reconciliation is quite difficult for a lot of different reasons. But I love Romans 5.10. It says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. We may pursue reconciliation with a best friend because we have great uh, rapport with them, right? It's years of friendship that we have between each other. We might pursue reconciliation with a family member. We might pursue reconciliation with someone who we have great love for. But for an enemy... I probably wouldn't pursue reconciliation with an enemy. Someone who opposes you through their entire life, who you don't desire at all to be reconciled with. Would we pursue that? God does. God pursues reconciliation. If you had a major fallout with somebody, and God's been kind enough to work through your heart and move towards forgiveness with that person... If you're to the point to where you're, you've actually gotten to the point where you've, you've forgiven them of what they've done, forgiven the entire situation, you might still keep them at arm's length. You might still kind of say, mm, I forgive you, but the trust is still broken. And I don't know if we can be as close as we used to be. Why? Because we're sinful. And at, at the deepest part of our heart, we're kind of like, yeah, they might fall back into their old habits. Or we just like are, are really fragile in those moments and we, and we can't take that step forward. But what does God do with someone who he knew would continue to fail him? What does God do with the person that he walked towards reconciliation with, knowing that they were going to continue to pursue something else other than him? That they were going to continue to run after sin or themselves and idolatry or, or lift up something else as God. He doesn't keep us at arm's length. But he pursues us completely and he welcomes us into his arms. God continues to reconcile with those who were his enemies. God continues to bring people into his life. And to bring people into the kingdom. And to save the people who, who were far from him. And he doesn't even count their trespasses against them. How beautiful is it that we have a, such a forgiving God. Who doesn't just say, okay, like, I, I saved you, but I need you to stay ten feet away. He says, hey, I saved you and I want you to be as close to me as you can get. How beautiful how, how amazing is it that we have a God who continues to pursue us in, in that way? And yet, when we walk towards reconciliation, it is quite difficult. We have a God who bridges the gap, who, who invites us into relationship, who saves and redeems us and calls us his children, that gives us a new identity, a relationship with him one-to-one. -one. We have an amazing God who continues to just change our lives over and over again. What good is it to be forgiven of our sin? What good is it to be forgiven of our sin if 
we were not reconciled to God. If God just said, hey, you're saved, but I'll see you later. How would that be good news? Uh, you, can, you can have eternity, but I'm going to go over here. That's not what our God does. He says, you can have everything with me, and we're going to be together forever. How beautiful and how wonderful and how marvelous is that creator God who brings us into that relationship back to where we truly belong with him. And it gets even better because he reconciled us to Jesus, but then he also sends us on a mission. He invites us into it. He says, come with me. Come do this together. We respond to the new identity that's been given to us in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm inviting you to the ministry of reconciliation, as it continues to tell us, right? That verse 19, that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us. And he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. <laughs> he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. If you had two friends who you knew loved each other, but had this great divide because of something. But you knew both of them at the deepest bottom of their hearts need, wanted each other and wanted to see reconciliation happen. Wouldn't you do everything you could to bring them back together? Like if you knew they both really wanted the relationship to work at the deepest core of their hearts and their being, you would say, man, I... I just want them to see that God could do some really cool healing here. And that's the opportunity we get as ministers of reconciliation. As the ministry of reconciliation that's given to us, ultimately it's us going and appealing for God and saying, man, there's someone who cares for you so much and while you're far from him, he just wants to bring you home. He wants to show you what he has truly done for you and how much he loves you and how much he cares for you and how passionate he is for you to actually know him to the point to where he died for you and defeated death, took your sin and all of it on the cross. Man, that's great news that God has given us the opportunity to be ministers of reconciliation to the ends of the earth, to the rest of the world, to tell them about who Jesus is, that he's granted us that amazing opportunity to come alongside the Father, to be compelled by the love that is in us, to tell people about that great love, that there's someone who is so compassionate, so loving, so committed to them. I love that it says that he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. He, he hasn't just said, mm, I think they might get it done. Mm, well, I'm going to let them do it, but uh, really doubt it. No, he's committed the message to us. He's given us complete trust to go and be on this co-mission with him, to be with him, right? The Spirit of God fills us, transforms us, changes us, but he's also always with us. As we think of Matthew 28, right, the Great Commission, he sends us out, but he doesn't send us out alone. He sends us out empowered by the Spirit, 
This is a good news mission that we're sent on to proclaim that to the rest of the world. Paul goes on and he calls us ambassadors. Verse 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. An ambassador is simply somebody who goes to another nation who gives them a message on behalf of their nation. Right? It's a representative. And even today, as we have ambassadors, right, the U.S. has ambassadors that go to other countries. They're sent to represent a message from their country. We are ambassadors for Christ. We present and represent the kingdom of Jesus himself. So uh, this isn't just by saying things. We're not ambassadors just because we share the gospel. But we're ambassadors because we represent Jesus. So if someone knows you're a Christian... And whatever you do around them, whether it's something you say or how you act, more than likely they're going to attribute everything you do to Jesus. Because it's just kind of how our brains work. We tend to group things together. And we say, oh, okay, you did that, so that must be what all Christians do. That must be how all Christians live. And sometimes I know that can feel really weighty. Like, I, I, I know... The actual tension of when I do something dumb or when I fall into sin around somebody who's uh, maybe doesn't know Jesus, I'm like, shoot, I'm supposed to be representing Christ and I just did not do it in a good way. Like there's a great tension in my heart that happens in the middle of that moment. And I know sometimes it, it, it almost feels like there's, there's this weight that it's going to crumble and you're just like, now that person's never going to come to Christ. Now that person's never actually going to understand what Jesus has done for them. But here's the encouragement. Salvation is not on us. Salvation's not on us. Remember, Jesus himself was the one who did the saving work in your life. And he's the one who does the saving work in theirs. God opens hearts. He's the one who opens their eyes. He's the one who continues to transform people's lives over time and time again. He, he brings the dead people to life, gives them a new life, makes them a new creation, and then sends them as ambassadors too. It's all God's work. We just simply make the appeal through him. It's helpful to think that while we're on mission, and if you feel like there's the weight of the world, like on you, to share Jesus with the people around you. If you feel like, man, if I don't do this the right way, there's no way they're going to know Jesus. There's no way they're actually going to be like someone who's completely transformed and made new. Remember that our missional God was on mission for you too. Like remember that it's not all on you. That it's not a, some fancy gospel presentation that saves somebody. It's not an emotional uh, experience that's given or created by human hands. But we were saved by the grace and the grace alone of Jesus Christ. Through faith we are saved. By his grace we are saved. It's all what he's done. Nothing of what we've done. You could completely butcher a gospel presentation. Trust me, I've done it. And people could still come to faith. God can do amazing things. But he's inviting us to be on this mission with him. So be encouraged. that The mission of God, the appeal that we make as ambassadors to, to, on Christ's behalf, that Jesus sends us out, it, it, it's not about how polished we are. 
how, how perfect we are at drawing the bridge illustration on the napkin that we have or making sure we have like our little track that we're following and you're doing it just fine. Like it's, it's all about the spirit of God moving in their hearts. But Jesus is encouraging us to continue to go and to make that appeal for him, to at least share with them what Christ has done so that he could open their hearts. How could they receive if they've never heard? Romans 10 talks about that. But as we think of this mission, we, we put this as a core value in our church, not just simply because it's a command from the scripture that Jesus tells us, go, therefore, make disciples. But we know it's the greatest gift that we could ever have. It is the greatest gift that we could ever have to be made new by Jesus to understand what he's done in our hearts, to be completely transformed by the good news of the gospel. God has revealed himself. Stop and think about that. The creator God of the world has revealed himself to you. How mind-blowing is that? The God who created the stars and the heavens, the God who created the little ants that we hate and are bothered by, The God who created nasty cockroaches for some reason. (laughs) The God who created the beautiful sunsets. The wonderful moments that we get to laugh and enjoy with our family. Those are all just small little glimpses of the glory and beauty of who God is. And he's saying, come with me. Come be on this mission with me. One thing I'm super excited for, um, we're about four weeks out from due date for baby Leva coming. And one thing I'm super excited for is to just do stuff with our kid. Whether it's a boy or girl, I'm just super excited to do different things. Um, Probably because I didn't, partially, I didn't grow up with my dad, but... So maybe there's like that inner desire that's just like, oh, I want to do all the things I didn't get to do. But there's also like this just desire for me to just hold our our baby. Like we got a car seat this weekend. And every time I walk into the room and I see the car seat there in the living room, I'm just like, oh, there's going to be a baby there. But, (laughs) and I'm just so excited to invite them to participate in different things that I do. You guys know I love lawn care. Um... (laughs) It's fun, okay? <laughs> and I, I'm excited for like the little moments in two, three, four years plus where like little baby Leva is just like walking with like a pretend lawnmower, you know? Or when they're a teenager and able to do yard work or whatever. Like I'm excited for the moments where I'm like, hey, come let me teach you how to edge the yard, you know? <laughs> like there's like the little things like that. But if I'm honest... Everything would go faster and probably be done better and more efficiently if I tell my kid to just go sit inside. If I say, hey, just, just go inside, hang out, watch cartoons, read a book, whatever. I'm going to make sure I get this done and I do it the perfect way that I know how to do it. But our father doesn't do that. Our father says, come with me. Let, let's go on mission together. Let's be compelled by the love that's in you. How much more does the love of God continue to invite us to be on mission with him? 
And I know there's a bunch of different reasons why we uh, feel the tension of sharing Christ with others. There's, there's, excuse me, there's a bunch of different reasons why we get nervous about sharing our faith. And maybe one is because you don't feel confident in what you're going to say. You don't feel confident in, in sharing the gospel or you don't, you want to make sure you say everything perfectly. Remember, regardless of how you say it, God could still radically move to bring that person to salvation. For it is the power of the gospel to save, not the power of your presentation, not the power of your words, not the power of your illustration. It is the power of the gospel that saves. Maybe it's that uh, you don't think God's actually going to save them. You doubt it. I've been there too. You doubt that God's actually going to save that person because you've had 10 conversations about the gospel already. You've been sharing Jesus with, the, with them over and over again. Man, if the people who shared Christ with me walked away after the first time and they said, that guy lives too much of a frat boy lifestyle. There's no way he's coming to know Jesus. I'd still be lost. I wouldn't be here. God continues to save murderers, partiers, prostitutes, greedy men and women, the simple suburban dad who has everything that uh, the world could promise him, the Muslim, the, the stay-at-home mom, the adulterous CEO. There is nothing that can stop God from saving somebody. Absolutely nothing that can stop Jesus from changing somebody's life and making them into a new creation. There is nothing that can separate them from him. He's conquered sin and death, and he can conquer all things. He's the God of the universe, and we can be confident and trust that there is nothing that can stop Jesus from saving that one person who we don't think he'll save. And sometimes we don't think that they actually deserve it. Sometimes there's someone who we, like, hate. Who, who were just like, mm, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to be in the same room as you. You really bother me. Can't stand you. You're an image bearer. That's cool. See you later. <laughs> but while we were still enemies, God still died for us. So what if that love compelled us to still share with them and to meet with them and to talk with them, right? Not our love, but the love of Christ compels us. It stirs us up to go towards those who we dislike or don't like to be around. And maybe it's that you feel like you're, man, I don't, I don't want to shove something down their throat. I, I don't want to feel like I'm just forcing it down their, down their minds. Just don't be a jerk. <laughs> Jesus doesn't need you to win an argument. He just wants you to invite somebody to know him. There's a difference between arguing and being a minister of reconciliation. There's a difference between fighting over something and just saying, hey, what do you think about that? So I want to give us some practical tips to kind of end because I know, I know being ministers of reconciliation, giving the, giving the word of reconciliation as it talks about, or even as we think about making an appeal on Christ's behalf, Behalf. It can be difficult. Sometimes we're nervous. Sometimes we don't know what to say. And so I think it'd be good if we just kind of say, hey, okay, what are some quick things that we could consider as, as we leave this place and we go into the world or even within this place and you have conversations with each other? 
What, what are some things that we could ponder on as we go out and pursue others for Christ, as we're stirred up by the love of God that compels us? The first one, pray. I know it sounds super simple. I know you guys are like, mm, that's like the Christian thing to do. Mm, are you sure? Is prayer really going to do anything? Yes, it will. Uh, seriously, pray. Our God hears our prayers. We, we just spent time praying. Why? Because God hears us. Because he invites us not into just this mission, but into this relationship. We're his ch- children that he continues to move in and, and change. Right? That's the second thing with prayer is it, it doesn't just change or, or actually move God to actually answer those prayers, but it changes our hearts. Prayer moves in, in us. As we continually pray for people, we're reminded to ask for boldness, courage, wisdom, words to say, answers to speak, to continue to just beg Jesus to do something. In the early church, we walked through the book of Acts for like a year and a half or something like that. Over and over and over again, the early church, what'd they do? They prayed. What'd they pray for? For boldness. They prayed for courage. And these are people who are going to jail. They're saying, give me more boldness. Man, we could continue to beg God for boldness, beg God for a love of people, an affection to pursue others for Christ. Second tip, spend time in the Word of God. How does that make sense? Well, it makes sense because time and time again, God reminds us of who He is in Scripture. God points us to the character of what he's done. It illustrates for us how he saves lost people, people who were far from him, people who we would probably think, man, there's no way the apostle Paul who was pursuing and murdering Christians deserves to get into heaven. God said, I'm running after him. He's mine. It's the same thing he said for us. Ran after us and said, mine. Welcomed us home. And as we examine Scripture, as we spend time in Scripture, we're reminded of God's grace, His power, His sufficiency, His love, His pursuit of the lost, time and time again, that it stirs us up to be compelled by love, to be ministers of reconciliation. Third point, just talk about God. It's simple to just talk about Jesus. Hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, we uh, went to the marriage conference that our church was putting on, and then we spent some time at church, and we talked to some people. Like, it's that simple. Hey, what'd you do this week? What was your favorite part? Maybe you had a fun time at City Group for an in night. Oh, we were at my, uh, at our church's home group where we, you know, talk about the Bible, and we were just having meals, and we were having a good time, and and there's moments where you're going to know if there's an open door or a closed door, like someone's going to keep asking or they're going to kind of skate it. Uh, and, and those are moments where it's just subtle things where we can just bring it up in conversation that God continues to open doors. It, no one has to tell me to talk about lawn care or brownies or Spider-Man. No one has to tell me to talk about that stuff. But you bring it up in conversation, we're going to be here for an hour and a half, right? Like, why? Because I love those things. It's the same thing as we talk about our relationship with the Lord, right? We love him, and so we're able to speak of him. Fourth, invite. Make an appeal, as the scripture says, right? Make an appeal. Plead on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. After you're having the conversation about Jesus, don't forget to close the book. Don't forget to invite. What do you think about that? Is that something that you want? What, what, what's keeping you between you, Jesus and actually committing yourself to him? Actually invite them into a relationship with Christ. And if they say no, don't be discouraged. Like it, remember, 
success in evangelism is not how many conversions you have in life. You're not more of a mega Christian because you've got 10 conversions in the last three years and your buddy over here only has one. Like it's not a competition. We're all on the same team, right? We all just hope that heaven continues to get a little bit more crowded because God's using us. We all just hope that we're pleading on Christ's behalf that he would redeem lost people and save them time and time again. If they have questions that you don't know the answer to, don't make something up. Like, just say, I don't know. Let me find out. Let's get coffee again next week, and we can talk about it. Like, it's just good to be honest with them and keep pursuing them to say, hey, I'm not sure, but I want to find out for you. I want to do some homework. Let's get back together. Remember, your goal is not to convert somebody into a religion, but it's in to introduce them into Jesus. Ultimately, if you're like, I don't, I don't know what to say. I have no idea what to say. I have no clue how to share the gospel, Alex. Ask somebody. Hundred plus people in this room. Lots of people who are just wanting to encourage each other to pursue others for Jesus. Go to your city group leader. Hey, could we spend a week or two like talking about how to share the gospel? Something we, we're doing in our city group right now is we're just t taking a couple of weeks. How do we actually share our faith with the people around us? What are some tips and tools that we can ask people don't be embarrassed to say, I'm not sure what to say if somebody asks me about Jesus. Or read 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Just 20 and 21, right? Hey, be reconciled to God. I, I want you to have a relationship with the amazing God. Right now, you're not in reconciliation. You're far apart from each other. Your sin is driving you away from him. And yet, he wants the relationship with you. Be that meteor. Be the ambassador. And say, he, who, so if they ask, who's Jesus? What he's done? Why, you're telling me about this stuff. I don't get it. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. I want you to know that there was this man named Jesus who lived a perfect life. And while you were sinful and rebelled against God, he himself took on that sin for you. Why? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So that you could take on the righteousness of Jesus. So that you could be made right with God. So that you could have everlasting life with him. It's a free gift of salvation, right? It's right before. You have no idea what to say? Read those words. It's beautiful, good news that you can just commit to those people and just share with them what Christ has done. Be encouraged, church. We're ministers of reconciliation. It's good news that we get to share and plead on Christ's behalf. But the reality is he doesn't need us. He's used dreams. He's used a burning bush somehow. He's used uh, angels. And yet he still invites us into it. What good news is it that we get to go on this mission with Jesus himself? And by God's grace, we can be compelled by love to be ministers of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are a good God that you pursued us relentlessly, that you've given us everlasting life, that we could have great hope in who you are because of what you've done and how you continue to pursue us. Lord, I just pray that as we sit here and as we ponder these things, as this scripture continues to speak to us, Jesus, I pray that to, we would be greatly encouraged by the good news that you've invited us into this mission. Lord, I pray that you would use us to continue to go out with the neighbors, the family, the friends, the co-workers, that when we don't feel confident, that we would be confident in you. 
that when we don't know what to say, that we would remember the grace that was given to us and share that. That when we're feeling like you're not actually going to move or, or stir up somebody's heart or change their lives, that we would remember that even while we were enemies and far from you and distant from you, you still pursued us. And so we can trust that you will pursue them. Lord, we pray that we would see uh, just more and more people come to know you. Here in Lincoln, across the city, uh, across the state, across the globe, Lord, would you save more people and would we just get to be a small part of it? Lord, I pray that you would give us great encouragement and that your love would compel us forward. And we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.